1: hey what is up everybody welcome into the guilty is charged podcast my name is steven i'm your host alex is currently unavailable but tyler is here Uh, and as you can see if you're watching us on video tyler has been recently engaged as of last night tyler congratulations man and how was that a whole experience for you And, and kind of you know fill us all in on the details
2: yeah so yesterday i proposed to my girlfriend of five and a half years and of course she said yes So now I'm officially engaged, and I'm certainly the luckiest guy in the world, and I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with her. Uh, The whole plan was to surprise her with the proposal, which she kind of knew was coming. Uh, But then we opened the door, and all her family and friends were there, and my family and friends were there. And she was just blown away by the whole thing. And it was one of the most beautiful nights I've ever had. Everyone was just happy and having fun. And there were, you know, tears flowing and alcohol flowing. And it was great.
1: <laughs> and it looked back to normal. Like, it just looked like a normal It did. Yeah.
2: Yes, absolutely. No, we have, I have not seen them for a while. Of course, I've seen my family. But, you know, for everyone to come together, it just felt like, and even the last couple of weeks, like, it's been a little bit harder on my family with, you know, my grandpa has some health issues. And so for all of us to have something so uplifting, and then everyone to come back together as COVID, you know, this this quarantine is ending. And for us to just have a blast, it was it was a perfect night and I couldn't have dreamt it any better. Yeah, man, I'm super
1: happy for you. Obviously, being the only married one on the podcast has been a little, (laughs) little fun for me to jab at you guys, but happy to have someone in here. I I loved Alex's meme that he posted today about the the (laughs) three of us in the relationship. So super happy for you guys. Wish you nothing but the best and health and happiness in your engagement and of course marriage going forward. So we've got a fun episode planned for you guys today. Um, we're going to chat about some things that I personally have been reading and, and studying and learning from the book Peyton and Breeze, uh, the book read, or written by Jeff Duncan, excuse me, of The Athletic, um, obviously relevant to the Chargers because the Chargers are uh, going to be implementing some pieces of the Saints offense. So I made sure to you know, take some notes and, and talk about some things that have stood out to me so far. And then we also have an interview with our good friend Taylor Soto, AKA AZ Bolking. So as always, the audio version of that is going to happen on this current episode. And then the video is going to be happening on a separate video for those uh, that are listening on YouTube. And then we are going to continue our building a franchise series with the offensive linemen. I personally am so excited. This is the episode that outside (laughs) of the quarterbacks, I was most excited to talk about. I think that's going to be super fun, Uh, for me and Tyler to do and potentially Alex uh, if he's able to join us in a second Um, but Tyler man uh, I think this is gonna be an exciting episode and I think we should jump into it right now
2: all right let's do it what do you got what do you what have you been reading (laughs) Stephen
1: so it's been an interesting thing for me to to kind of you know hear all this coach speak from the current Chargers coaching staff and then read how the Saints in particular have you know kind of applied those sentiments, applied those philosophies, you know, throughout this insane run by Drew Brees and Sean Payton. Um, and I know it obviously hasn't resulted in a ton of Super Bowls. They only got, had the one, but um, just a, a super successful offensive run. And so one of the first things that, you know, I wanted to talk about and they, they talk about in the book is the way that the Saints use versatility and personnel, because those two things, they've become buzzwords at this point for the Chargers coaching staff of, Well, we want guys that can play multiple positions, do different things, fill different roles, and then we can use the personnel packages to create mismatches. And so one of the the first packages that they talk about is what they call the pony package, which they use two running backs on the field at the same time, whether that's Reggie Bush and Deuce McAllister, Alvin Kamara and Mm -hmm. Latavius Murray, or Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram. They use both running backs to threaten the defense with you know, possible run packages. And then because Alvin Kamara and Reggie Bush are so good at running routes and catching passes out of the backfield, they're essentially able to treat Alvin Kamara like a receiver, Reggie Bush like a receiver, and they can stay in like 11 personnel, but also have the threat of having two running backs on the field. So it's just a super interesting idea to to hear them you know, talk about this versatility of X player, in this case, Austin Eckler for the Chargers and be able to mm-hmm. hear how the Saints have applied it throughout their, you know, 12 year run in New Orleans.
2: No, I'm happy to hear that. And if it translates to the Chargers, that's great. You know, as I said, a couple of episodes ago, Eckler went from running, you know, in the slot or out wide 27 percent of the time. That dropped to 19 percent this last year with Shane Steichen was a it's a criminal waste of talent for a guy who's like second in yards per route run among running backs yeah. and wide receivers. So getting him to use him like that is great. My issue with that pony package, not with the, with the way the Saints did it, but with the Chargers, is is who's the other guy? Like I feel like they could right. have run this pretty well with like a Melvin Gordon. I know it's, it's like a bad word, but like I think Gordon <laughs> Eckler could have been okay with that. Yeah. Uh, whereas like Kelly and Roundtree, I think they caught a combined. 24 balls out of college not saying that they can't develop Ladinian tomlinson didn't exactly catch a lot of balls this last year in college but they're not Ladinian tomlinson yeah and so are they like are they heavily relying on justin jackson then who i think would be like the other compliment like i think eckler and jackson is the most dynamic combo but then they drafted roundtree so what do they view jackson as is is it eckler and jackson is it eckler and roundtree like I, I love the idea of making eckler you know your future guy your versatile guy put him wherever you know, as your wide receiver three, if you will. But who's the other guy? Who's the other guy who's going to step up? I I can't wait to see who steps up in that regard because I don't, I really don't know yet.
1: Yeah, that is definitely something to keep an eye on this during training camp is who's able to really ascend to that RB2 spot. Because I I know all of us kind of assume that Justin Jackson has that role and he is, you know, he has proven to be the most efficient runner. Obviously, Roundtree hasn't taken any Mm -hmm. snaps in the NFL yet. But at the same time, I I don't think that Jackson is a lock to be that RB2 spot because he's he's never been healthy. Like, he has to earn that role just like everybody else. And, you know, to your point about Austin Eckler, I think it helps him to be more of like an RB1A as opposed to a clear-cut RB1 like he was last year. Like, you know, his Mm -hmm. season last year, if he had played the whole year or most of the year, he would have had a huge season. But, you know, there is that kind of argument of like, well, are you using him the right way? Is this more beneficial to him or more beneficial to the team? Like, you know, you you don't just want to have him run for a lot of our yards. You want to have him play to the best of his abilities. And to me, it makes sense to have him in that kind of supporting role where he's able to really thrive as a receiver.
2: So which of these guys are you taking as the RB2? you think it it will be Jackson? It should be Jackson.
1: It should be Jackson. But I know Alex doesn't like him, but I'm not going to be surprised (laughs) if Larry Roundtree really comes out and has a big role in this team. I know that a lot of people are skeptical about the pick, and I get that. He wasn't my favorite running back either, but I did like him. Mm -hmm. And I think he fits the mold of the Latavius Murray, of the Mark Ingram, a, a truly violent runner, you know, doesn't really care it doesn't lack confidence. I I think that's the biggest thing with Joshua Mm, Kelly is that mm -hmm. he's got to get the confidence back. And I just don't know how, like if he comes out in the first game and he has another fumble, like, is he going to be able to have the confidence to withstand Mm. that? And is this new coaching staff going to have the confidence to kind of, you know, put him through the ringer after fumbling again. So to me, I don't trust Jackson's health. I don't trust Kelly's confidence. So like over the course of the 17 games, if I had to bet, you know, who finished the second on this team in carries I'm taking Larry Roundtree.
2: That's actually a really good point about confidence. I didn't even consider that not just because like, we've kind of talked about how Kelly lost his confidence after that fumble and then the other one. And then the fact that it just in general, he was losing his confidence in the run yeah. game. But then you talk about the way Roundtree runs with that confidence, right? So, yeah, actually I, I buy that. Okay. I, I would have said Roundtree, maybe like second or third, but yeah, yeah. I buy it. Good point.
1: I just think people are going to be surprised when they hear that and I think they're going to be surprised <laughs> when he gets onto the field because like none yeah. of us know what what is going on here and I know some people have said you know on Twitter like no one's really talking about the running back so far well they haven't there's mm-hmm. been no contact right like we're not going to hear who's the best running back until they get to right. the pads until they get into a preseason game and that's truly when we'll we'll know who is going to be the RB2 because you, as a running back, you know, you, you can't really show off and really push the other people in the room until you get pads, until you get hit, until you're able to really kind of show what kind of stamina you have. So there's so much of the running back position that we just don't know. I saw Justin Jackson post a video the other day of him working on his route treat. That's fantastic. I think if he's able to be, you know, kind of Austin Eckler's backup, and maybe stay on the field as as more of a supplementary pass catcher. That might be what's best for him at this point. But um right now, like I said, if I had a bet, I think I would choose Larry Roundtree.
2: And even if Roundtree or Kelly, whoever it is, has the best training camp in preseason, we've seen yeah. this as early as last year that that doesn't always translate to being the RB two for the rest of the way. Where you know Kelly was the best player on the team and during the preseason or excuse me, the you know offseason training camps and stuff. Yeah. And he was RB six by the end of the year. Right. The
1: other personnel package that I, I enjoyed reading about was their tight end package because um the Saints when they've had Jimmy Graham and recently with Taysom Hill, they've been using three tight end sets quite often. They they led the league in three tight end sets, Jimmy Graham's last year, and then they led the league in three tight end sets. Uh, 2 years ago when Breeze was was semi healthy uh, at least according to Jeff Junk- Jeff Duncan so the the way that he did that they described this personnel package is that they always have to have that versatile pass catching tight end recently Jared Cook and then Jimmy Graham before that and they're mm-hmm. able to treat you know 12 personnel where you have one receiver or 13 personnel rather one receiver three tight ends Essentially, like 12 personnel because you have these versatile tight ends who can do different Mm -hmm. things. Then you throw Taysom Hill into the wrinkle, and I'm not the biggest fan of Taysom Hill, the quarterback, but Taysom Hill, the tight end, is a lot of fun. A Taysom Hill, the gadget player, gives them a lot of options. And so, just looking at the way that the Chargers could use their tight end group, you know, you have the versatility of Donald Parham, you have the versatility of Jared Cook, albeit a little uh, less so because of his age, and then Trey McKitty and Steven Anderson as well. So, you know, not a lot of us have been talking about the potential of the Chargers using three tight end sets, but I do think based off of Joe Lombardi's background that we could see them use three tight end sets quite a bit more than a lot of people think.
2: I like that. And I don't remember when they stopped, well, I guess when Virgil Green went down, but at their height of their powers, if you will, as an offense, they were using those three tight ends with Green... And Henry and the third guy, whether it be Parham or Anderson or whatever, yeah. And so, dead yeah, bring in Jared Cook, have that familiarity. You already know what his role is. He knows what his role is in this offense. And then you go with Parham, I'm guessing. And then yeah, it makes a ton of sense by the draft trade McKitty. Then if they want to go, you look, we're going to run a lot of three tight end sets, but we need to not make it so obvious that it's you know, this is our. If Virgil Green run goes out there, he's probably blocking. And you're, right. if he goes on a route, it is what it is. It's the second time he lose out the entire game, McKitty can do both. So I understand It kind of makes sense now, why they would take him because he's got his chops in both as a blocker and as a route runner and pass catcher. So yeah, yeah I, I do really like this group. I think Parm improved as a blocker towards the end of the season. And of course you see what he can do as a receiver, still kind of limited, but each of these guys, well, maybe cook not much as a, as a blocker, but you already know he's, a, he's the pass catcher, but the other right. guys, you can kind of mix and match however you want. And yes, you can even mix and match Gabe neighbors. I don't really remember how much he blocked as an inline tight end, but certainly as your your fullback, h-back, tight end, whatever you want to do with him, you right. can mix and match there. So, yeah, it's a very interesting group. I hope they do it because they were very good at doing it last year.
1: Absolutely. And then, you know, the the thing about the the Saints, Josh Hill, they use kind of essentially as like a sixth lineman, you know, whenever they were yeah. actually calling pass plays, they would essentially use him, you know, to breathe that extra lineman, provide a six man in protection and that really allows the the quarterback to have that much more time and be able to really get the ball out quick, which is obviously what the saints uh, have lived upon. So the second thing that I wanted to talk about here is actually Joe Lombardi, because that is, that is like the biggest thing. I know there's still some people who are concerned about his time in Detroit, and I totally get it that it did not end well, but just kind of reading through this book, it, it just has made me realize that it was not a good fit for him in Detroit and whether or not that was you know Jim Caldwell's fault or Joe Lombardi's fault you know Joe Lombardi at that stage in his career was so used to the Saints way of doing things and the amount of collaboration that the Saints were allowing under Sean Payton mm. and just it it was not a good fit in Detroit is, is what i'm trying to say and they they talk about the way that the Saints you know go about building their game plan they take every single day of the week They never finalized the game plan. Everything is collaboration from start to finish of the week. And Joe Lombardi, something he said is that when he got to Detroit, Jim Caldwell wanted every single detail of the game plan finalized by Tuesday, and then he would kind of take it and run with it. Yeah. So, you know, the way that the Saints do it is they would stay up all Monday night, all Tuesday night, and have most of the game plan ready by Wednesday when practice was, was happening, and then hopefully have it finalized you know, like Saturday evening. But he was saying that Jim Caldwell in Detroit wanted every single piece of the game plan done by Tuesday. And so Jim Caldwell, or Joe Lombardi, excuse me, had a smaller role and there was less collaboration Mm -hmm. in Detroit. And so to me, it just felt like he was never comfortable there and it was not a good fit for him
2: wow i did not know that that sounds dreadful that reminds me of the movie draft day that we had to watch where they're like (laughs) yeah we'll just jump into the draft whatever and then they like have their plan already then the the day of the draft comes they're like we should study this guy this totally sounds like a draft day (laughs) scenario wow i didn't realize that was the case like i don't i don't know how most teams usually do this but tuesday seems a little bit early you just got home i can't even imagine that you've put this all together and even i don't know when teams get analytics but yeah. You're not really getting it till like Sunday night, maybe even Monday, perhaps. Especially after the game, the Monday night games are played. So to get your analytics, then of course that means they probably weren't using analytics, right. and you know having them ready by Tuesday night is ridiculous. So um, if yeah, if they're able to collaborate like that with the Chargers, that's great. That has been the focus of Staley when he hired all these different coaches from different backgrounds. We we're yeah. going to work with everyone. Everyone has their own input. You know we won't have to use all of it, but I like everyone's perspective. Whether you're from college the pros, a newer guy, an older guy. We love all of it. So, I mean, yeah, it seems like not that they're copying the Saints, but if you're going to imitate imitate anybody, Sean Payton and the way the Saints have run their offense, it's not a bad way to go.
1: Yeah, 100%. And so it, it was just really interesting to learn. You know, Jeff Duncan described it as Jim Caldwell and several other coaches around the league kind of prefer like the less is mm. more simplicity approach to building a game plan. And, you know, they kind of prefer to have you know, things relatively stay the same and, you know, you add plays as you have to. um, And, and so, you know, Joe Lombardi had a much smaller role, which is weird to say because he was going from being a quarterback's yeah. coach to an offensive coordinator and his role was, was significantly lower. So it's, it just, <laughs> it was not, it was not a good fit all around for anyone involved. And really I was just kind of confused why, the Lions ended up hiring Lombardi because, you know, he wanted to install a little bit more of the Saints culture. And basically anytime he had these new ideas, Jim Caldwell was shutting him down. And I love the way that the, that Jeff Duncan described it because the Saints offensive staff, all 11 men would meet on Tuesday morning and every single coach had a role. If, if you know, the lowest mm. assistant on the totem pole had an idea, had something that they noticed in film study, Sean Payton would listen to it. And they would put it into practice. And if it worked, they would keep it. If it didn't, then they wouldn't move forward with it. And so I just like the way, you know, hearing about this collaboration, because like I said earlier, you know, we've heard collaboration and communication all throughout, you know, like you said, all yep. throughout Staley's process. And if this is who they're copying, then it seems like this is actually going to be put in put in practice. And that obviously is a much more efficient way of working with your assistant coaches.
2: No, I love hearing that. I, I appreciate that you've been reading all this and putting this together because it's really cool to see how these is this is translating to what the chargers are doing. And like you said, yeah, even the lowest guy on the you know the totem pole, you know, Cody Shada is considered their support staff yet as soon as they yeah. drafted R- Rishon Slater, you know, Brandon goes, yeah, we had Cody Sheda talk to us about him. he's part of the, the reason that Shada's not a coach. He's an analytics guy, you know, not that he's low on the totem pole, but he kind of is but his input was, was important to them and they took the, the player at 13th yeah. overall in the first round. So um, I love hearing that and I, I can't wait to see how this translates. Wow.
1: Well, even Derek Ansley was talking about it. You know, he, he has all these connections to these players and, you know, he was asked about Asante mm. Sunday, jr. And he was asked about Josh Palmer and, you know, what they're like as, as players. So Staley has already kind of shown, you know, Hey, I'm going to listen to these coaches and take their opinions to heart. And, you know, we're we're coming from a coaching staff that clearly communication was lacking. You know, we said several Please. times throughout the season that there just seemed to be some kind of disconnect between Anthony Lynn and Shane Steichen. You know, despite the fact that they were both offensive minded head coach or coaches. So it just seems like hopefully that kind of lack of communication is behind the Chargers.
2: I hope so. I'm, I'm really curious if they're the one of the teams that would install on Tuesday. <laughs> and leave it on Tuesday it wouldn't it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me, me. Yeah. like but even like okay even if you do that it feels like even okay even if that's your game plan on Tuesday it even felt like the Chargers last year like spend the rest of the week on communication or, or game time yeah. situations or something yeah I mean it, it really just felt like they had everything done by Tuesday and then they all just went home like I don't what happened
1: well I don't know if you heard did you hear what Teddy Bridgewater said about Carolina recently
2: I've heard like little bits about it but So
1: Teddy obviously was in New Orleans, right? And then he goes to Carolina, Mm -hmm. who was mostly a staff who had just come up from college. And so Mm -hmm. someone asked him about like the struggles in Carolina and what that was like, and he basically was saying like the attention to detail was just not there. And you know this this college coaching staff because when you're in college, you don't really focus on all these details. You frankly just focus on you know X's and O's, making sure that X player is you know ready to graduate, eligible for. You know, his classes, and you know, hopefully he's in good shape and all this (laughs) stuff. Like, it's so much, it's such a more basic level of football than the NFL was. And so, Teddy Bridgewater, one thing he said is, like, we didn't practice two minute offense until like late in the season. And then by then we were like done. And he's like, we didn't practice, you know, red zone very often because we were just doing, you know, general basic position drills. Like, I'll practice long. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, Jeff Duncan mentions that the coaches in new Orleans know that attention to detail is like the number one attribute. And, you know, Mm -hmm. some of these coaches said that they were sleeping at the facility that Sean Payton had built in like a room for coaches (laughs) to sleep in like with a shower and everything. And all these coaches were just, you know, everything was attention to detail. That was the whole thing. And, you know, they talked about some coaches were assigned to watch film from like three years prior to try and find like weaknesses in bill Belichick's defense or Tom Coughlin's defense. And, you know, if it's a new coach, you have to watch all of his previous stops and like try and find these tendencies and try and find these weaknesses. And then, you know, you look at like the charter staff last year and there just was not that attention to detail. Not obviously not. Everyone is going to go to that extreme that the saints have, but you know, it was just amazing to read about the, you know, 100% dedication to attention to detail that Sean Payton and his staff have have had recently.
2: Wow. I I really feel like this organization, like the Chargers themselves have changed a lot and that Staley coming in has been a big, fresh, you know, fresh, big breath of fresh air for them. There we go. And (laughs) Jesus, I'm so tired. Uh, I was busy, all right? And um, I just... I'm hoping that this time around, like, I know this isn't quite how it works, and I hate being the guy that brings this up, but, you know, people will talk about how the Spanos as being the owners, you know, in general, they haven't found a way to get the most out of their coaches and coordinators. You know, not, there hasn't really been a coordinator the Chargers have had that is really, well, no, I shouldn't say that. Reich, Reich. And then I guess is on his way. Um, yeah. And I forget it. Point is, I hope that the, 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 <laughs> organization can really can't like it'll actually come to fruition that they will actually allow all of this to happen it seems like they are so far and i hate to even bring that up because they really shouldn't mix all that much but you know hopefully that you know staley is able to implement his entire vision because everything we're talking about right now sounds great to me
1: yeah absolutely and it you know it seems like staley is building this culture of you know developing these coaches as well as the players and, and you know he mentioned it i think in his mm-hmm. second press conference like, listen, I want to get these guys head coaching jobs. I want to elevate them as well as elevate the players. And so it's just interesting to see. The other thing I felt like was super interesting is that Pete Carmichael, the offensive coordinator in New Orleans, he's been there forever and he's never had a head coaching offer. Like Dan Campbell, <laughs> the tight ends coach, gets to be the head coach of Detroit. Joe Lombardi has now, you mm. know, gotten his second stint as an offensive oh. coordinator. But Pete Carmichael has been, you know. Sean Payne's right hand man for 12, 13 years and he's never gotten a head. Well, not I don't know if never,
2: but you know, he's never left. He's been he's just stayed in New Orleans. Interesting. I always kind of felt that way about Ron Miles as a guy. Like his track record just was building yeah. and building and building and building and building wherever he went. And I don't mean like as a head coach, but is anyone gonna give this guy a shot as a defensive coordinator? Like, because he's really freaking good at his job. <laughs> and he never like we we every year we toss around the idea of Ron Miles, Ron Miles, Ron Miles replacing somebody that the chargers had on their defense or as their as their coordinator and and no one ever picked him up so yeah it's frustrating for sure i don't i don't know the story about carmichael but i mean he deserves a job I, I would think yeah absolutely so lots of fun stuff
1: i have not finished the book yet um you know i'm about halfway through so you know once i finish it we'll be able to talk about some more things um i've heard that there's like a whole extensive chapter on joe lombardi uh coming up so you know, hopefully I'll, hmm. I'll be able to dive into you know him a little bit more after reading this. So um, we're going to move on now to my interview, my conversation with Taylor Soto. Uh, so, again, audio version that's going to happen right now. Video version uh, is going to be a separate video. So that's going to happen right now. All right, Tyler, let's get into this offensive line draft. I know we, the, it was going to be the three of us. Instead, it's just going to be the two of us. But I still think it's going to be a very interesting conversation um frankly because the chargers have a couple players that i think could go in this kind of setting obviously i would have loved to have alex on here you get five more picks would have increased the likelihood of rashawn slater Corey lindsley uh being selected so let's get started yeah i have the first pick cannot wait i'm glad that this you know the first one was (laughs) random the second one we just kind of moved up a slot and so i'm very happy that i get the first pick of the offensive line draft um okay And I know that everybody's going to kind of look at this and go, oh, David Bakhtiari, Ronnie Stanley, all these players, right? They're all very deserving. But there's been a theme of my the way that I go about doing this, and that's that I want an elite player on a rookie contract as much as I can have one. So my first overall pick of the offensive line draft is going to be Tristan Wirfs, the right tackle of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Someone that I truly think was arguably the best right tackle in the game last year as a rookie, someone that I'm going to have on a very cost-controlled contract for the next four years and then be able to extend after that. And I know some people are going to say, well, like left tackle versus right tackle. I don't think that conversation matters as much anymore, to be honest with you. I think you've got to have two great offensive tackles on both sides. And Tristan Wirfs is obviously that. Love his athleticism, love his attitude, love everything about the way he plays,
2: and I love that rookie contract. Yeah, that's the guy I would have gone with. I kind of figured you were going there because I know you liked him out of college. He's on that rookie contract. And I mean, you get an all-pro instantly. Like it doesn't and listen, these are yeah. for imaginary teams. Maybe your quarterback's left-handed. So maybe you have True. your your technically your left tackle here and Tristan Works is perfect for you. Yeah, that's who I would have gone with too. It's a smart pick. <laughs> and I mean, how often can you? Fine, whatever. Okay, so I do think there's been a legit influx of talent at tackle recently into the league, especially last draft, and it seems like this draft as well. But last year, you know, having a, a good trio or whatever does of, of tackles come in and be really good right away is great for the league. So I think, especially because Alex is not here, I'm going to wait on tackles, even though I normally wouldn't, particularly because I know a little bit more about the tackles than I do the interior offensive linemen. So I got to shoot yeah. my shot here. If I'm going to go with an interior offensive lineman, why not start with Quentin Nelson? I do have him for the next two years at $20 million total, the next two years, and then I have to pay him that extension. But I right. do get a legit interior offensive lineman, a tone setter, a guy who has been a Hall of Famer pretty much since the moment he stepped onto the field. Melvin Ingram is still having nightmares about this guy. I'm going to take Quentin Nelson. I'm going to play him at left guard, obviously. But
1: yeah, that's absolutely a great call. And I should say, you know, we're trying to build a unit not just draft like the five best players so we're trying to go left tackle left guard center right guard, sure. right tackle um and i think that's a, the right approach in terms of waiting on tackle if i did not have the first pick i would have done the exact same thing uh and i'm going to do mm-hmm. that right here and i'm going to take elton jenkins from the green bay packers
2: okay um
1: nice. somebody that i think is criminally underrated he's was in the top 10 in terms of pressures in terms of fewest pressures allowed great run blocker And more than anything else, I personally just value the way that he can play any spot along the line. The Packers are reportedly playing him at center right now in OTAs. He played some left tackle, played some right tackle. And I think the way that the league is ran, you just need to have – each team needs that one guy who can play all across the board because I think you can can much easier – find a backup when you have that one elite player you can put somewhere else you know like in the chargers case mm-hmm. like let's say brian blogger goes down i'll move elton jenkins over to right tackle and i'll figure out who to play at guard whereas you know if you don't have that guy like the chargers don't you know you have to play trey, P- trey pipkins you have to play brennan Hymus. it just gives you that much more that many more options that much more flexibility and elton jenkins is currently on a rookie contract he has two years left again that kind of same thing um, and then so I'll be able to extend him in, in two years time, save a lot of money and, and not lose any kind of play. So Elton Jenkins is going to be my second pick.
2: I like it. I like it. OK, some good players here. Got some good picks here for sure. Um, Yeah, I like it. Elton Jenkins. I haven't been able to watch him, but you speak so highly of him. I think every time that there's something versatile brought up, you're always like that's there, Elton Jenkins, whoever that yeah. player is like you can do this. I think well, I don't know if Slater was. Some many references like an Elgin Jenkins type, but um anyway, uh, it was Elijah Vera uh, Tucker that
1: I gave that I gave that. Vera Tucker.
2: Gotcha. Um oh, maybe I'll take Elijah Veratucker later. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, so if I am going to go with a player on a rookie contract, I'm either going to take a guy who I saw last year and was really, really good, or a guy that I think can be even better. And so why not take the generational prospect? I have to rip this from Steven because he took worse from me. I'm going to go with Panay Sewell And I'm going to righteously put him <laughs> at left tackle as yes. he deserves to be. Not at right tackle, which is, you know, again, two tackles. It's important. But, man, is that such a giant waste of time at right tackle. <laughs> so I'm going to go with Panay Sewell as my starting left tackle of the future. Has not stepped onto the field yet. But my coaching staff on this team is great. And we're going to maximize our left tackle. And he's going to be good for this team. Also, sorry, where is Jenkins playing for you?
1: Uh, he's going to play left guard for me cuz that's where he he's spent most okay. of his time so he's going to be playing left guard for me. Cool. All right, so he takes Sewell. very smart. And make sure that I have all these positions lined up for I forgot. I just realized I forgot to tweet out the poll from our last one. So I'll do that after I have to refinish this one. All right. Next pick for me. Um, Now I'm going to take my big contract. I'm able to have the flexibility with these two less expensive contracts. Apparently, I'm just a big fan Mm -hmm. of former Green and current Green Bay Packers. Uh, So I'm going to take David Bakhtiari. Uh, He has a $30 million cap hit until 2025. So get my expensive one. But I think it's I think it's pretty clearly that David Bakhtiari is the best left tackle, at least in terms of pass protection. Uh, I think you can make an argument that Trent Williams is the better run blocker, um, but Bakhtiari is a little younger, doesn't bring the health uh, concerns that Trent Williams has, even though he just tore his ACL. But I have no doubt that Bakhtiari is going to be able to you know get back to his former self, and you know just watching him and watching Corey Lindsay at the same time, like. I was just in awe at how little Aaron Rodgers Rodgers was touched just because Bakhtiari and Lindsley were shutting everything down and Elton Jenkins, of course. So uh, I've got two Green Bay Packers on my line uh, so far. So I've got Werfs at right tackle, Elton Jenkins at left guard, and then uh, Bakhtiari at left tackle.
2: Well, what's better than two Green Bay Packers? Let's go with three. (laughs) I am going to – listen – is is twelve and a half million dollars a year for Corey Lindsley? Ain't bad, and he's and it's not even the the number one contract. Technically, is tied for second. And I'm sure someone's gonna pop up ahead of him. I could have gone with a rookie, maybe like a Creed Humphrey or something, um, but I'm gonna pass it off potentially if Steven wants to take him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I can't. I mean, how often do you find a guy who got, he gave up four pressures in a season? I think Bakteria was what nine. I know that I know that both players didn't play a full season, but like yeah, nine pressures, and four like four pressures, man. Come on, like that's ridiculous. I don't even. I can't fathom what only allowing four pressures looks like for 16 <laughs> or for 15 minutes, whatever Lindsley played. So uh, yeah, so I'm going to go with Corey Lindsley here. Now I, you know, I think it'll help gel my offensive line, of course. And you know, your breakdown was great. The communication is there, the brains are there. I don't remember if he tested all that well athletically, but just the cerebral part of the game that was missing from this team, even if him and Feeney aren't like the most athletic, the brains are there and the communication is there. And so putting him onto my line, I do think I can be successful and help out my future quarterback.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's the right call. That's where you're going to take Corey Lindsay for sure. I considered, um, you know, kind of building this offensive line around like youth at the tackles and then maybe going with like a Corey Lindsay or a Frank Ragnow at center, which I think you yeah. can absolutely do. Ragnow still has one more season on a rookie contract, so that could maybe work. But then, you know, it climbs to 13.5 starting next year. So in mm. terms of like financially building, you know, that's maybe not where I want to go with um, right there. So I'm a little struggle. I'm struggling a little bit with who I want to pick at center. Cause there are so many good options there. So I'm going to pivot since you already have one. And I'm going to take my right guard here. Just got to figure out nice. which one I want to choose. Um, okay. Please don't take my guy. Let's see here. Trying to find my guy where he's at. Okay. I know who I'm going to go with. Okay. Um, Shoot. Where'd he go? I just saw him. What's his name? Okay. I'm going to go with Kevin Dotson from the Steelers. He was a third round pick. So I'm only paying him uh, $988,000 until 2025. <laughs> which is just fantastic yeah. value. And, you know, being able to get somebody super cheap here. Um, Felt like he was one of the, you know, better guards in the league last year, personally, especially after watching uh, some film on uh, Matt Filer. So I'm going to go with uh Kevin Dotson, super cheap player to fill my right guard
2: spot. I like it. Then I am also going to follow suit. A slightly different way of approaching it. Let me find his name and contract on my list here. Hurry up, Tyler. Please find it. (laughs) Okay. It's this one's tough because technically he's a tackle, but he did make three starts at right or left guard. Total last season, two at right. Yeah, two at right, one at left here. Only allowed three pressures in those three starts at guard. And I'm trying to find a cheaper player here. So I'm going to go with Michael Onwenu. Who is going oh, to yeah, only yeah. cost me less than a million dollars the next three years total. And so while I do have more expensive Quincy Nelson coming up, and of course the Corey Lindsley, Michael Manu, only allowing three pressures in three starts at guard. Granted, that's not a huge sample size, but not only does does he do well in those spots, he also can play right tackle. And on the entire season, you only give about 14 pressures. So very inexpensive player. I think I can try to build around him. And I have to because I need to be cheap here. <laughs>
1: yeah that that's a great call man i think he was someone that i considered taking um right here instead of kevin Dotson, but i do think you know I like kevin Dotson's ability as a run blocker a little bit more um mm. so next here, i don't have the kind of financial flexibility to take ragno like i said um you mm-hmm. know somebody that i think is absolutely you know in that conversation for best center in the league um but i'm gonna go with Quentin Nelson's teammate and take Ryan Kelly to round out my offensive nice. line. So he's a little bit less than Corey Lindsey 12.4. Um and he's still pretty young. He's only 28 years old, still coming into his own. Um he only allowed 12 pressures last year, so not, you know, up there in terms of Corey Lindsey, but still a, a very very good center, somebody that I think can can still grow some more, give me some youth and give me that last expensive contract.
2: I like it. I like it. Ryan Kelly was definitely a guy I would have taken. I just haven't watched him, so I can't say much about him. (laughs) That's a really good call there. I am going to take a swing here and go with my right tackle of the future here by taking a guy that has played right tackle before, but we've most recently seen him at left tackle. And who better to take than Stephen's number one offensive tackle prospect from last season. I'm going with Jedrick Wills, and I'm going to play him at right tackle along my offensive line only 18 pressures last season at left tackle. So there is some flexibility there. But he did come out of college as a right tackle. So I'm going to plug him there at my right tackle spot and pray it works.
1: <laughs> that absolutely would work, man. I, I love Jedrick Wills. And and
2: you know, if not for Tristan
1: Wirf's like ascension to elite level, mm-hmm. you know, Jedrick Wills was very, very solid. And I think absolutely carries that that kind of future designation as well. And and like you said, the tackle position right now is going through a bit of a renaissance, which is absolutely it needed is. with, you know, the, the three players that we took on rookie contracts and Rashawn Slater, who, you know, unfortunately wasn't taken by the two of us, but if Alex were here, you know, I, I have no doubt that Rashawn Slater Probably. would have been taken, you know, especially with that rookie contract and how affordable it is. Um, but I think this is, you know, without a doubt, you know, the golden age of offensive tackles. And apparently it's supposed to get better, even better next year. So uh, a lot of fun wow. young players there.
2: No, that's great. I guess I never asked you, do you would, where would Rashawn Slater have ranked last year in your group of tackles? Uh,
1: he would have, he would have been behind werfs and Wills um, for sure. Okay. For me, I think Sewell probably would have been ahead of werfs because I had Wills first, werfs second. Um, Mm -hmm. but Slater would have been third, at least. Um, I just think as prospects, man, Werfs and Wills were just so, so good. And they were just, I think you can make an argument that Wills would have been ahead of school for me this year. So, Mm. and next year they've got another Alabama offensive tackle and some other ones, man. I haven't done any looking into that, but people that have have been raving about the next offensive tackle class, which is just going to be fantastic. Um, Looks like Alex is just joining up as we finish our (laughs) as we finish our conversation here. Alex has joined the show. (laughs) Hey, Alex. Hey, Hey. line Go. Well, I'm here. uh, So yeah, I'm gonna just show up in the last minutes of the show now. Uh, So I hope everything's okay. (laughs) It's all good, man. We uh, we had a good time doing our draft. So I'll let you know who we took, and then if you wanna chime in on potentially you know who you you would have taken uh so first overall i took tristan worse then tyler took quentin nelson and then i took elton jenkins tyler took panay sewell i took david bakhtiari tyler took Corey lindsley i took kevin dotson from pittsburgh tyler took michael Onwenu from the new england patriots i took ryan kelly and then tyler finished it out with jedrick wills looks like yeah i mean that's a pretty good group um but yeah no i I, you know Tristan is a great first overall pick i agree man and uh you know it was a lot of fun doing this one you know as the offensive line guy and had a great time doing this so um and of course tyler again man just want to wish you congratulations super happy for you and your fiance uh wish you guys nothing but the best so tyler alex any final thoughts uh before we wrap up today's show (laughs)
2: um no nope, i don't have any final thoughts thank you for wishing uh no final uh, thoughts just in. uh congrats
1: alex, alex. you just it's got a, here Tuesday ongoing uh, yeah. stop talking
2: you're behind me you're behind me on the internet you just got here shut up <laughs> um alex how have had it man um th- yes thank you very much i hopefully only have to get engaged once yeah
1: all right okay oh, we lost is, him alex man. left now all right guys well thank you so much for tuning in um you know we're working on the internet issues i promise um so hopefully it gets gets better over the next couple weeks but thank you so much for tuning in as always leave us a rating or a review leave us a comment uh let us know who you would have taken in this kind of draft and maybe some of your takeaways uh from our conversation about the peyton and breeze book and again thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time